Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Aquaphoenix Scientific. Aquaphoenix, a manufacturer of test kits, reagents, and chemical feed and control equipment. Additionally, they are a distributor of thousands of products for top industry brands for the industrial water treatment market, making them the true one source for literally anything you might need. Folks, how many purchase orders do you need to write in order to get everything you need for your field test kit? Well, with Aquaphoenix, that is just one call to them, one purchase order, one shipment, and you can have everything you need from all the different manufacturers. Give the fine folks at Aquaphoenix a call today or visit them by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash APS. Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast where we scale up on our knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore, the host of Scaling Up H2O. And Nation, lots of things going on. I want to make sure that you can come here and you know what is going on. One of the items I want to mention is the Water Environment Federation, WEF. I know a lot of you go to the WEF Tech Conference. I think that was virtual last year. Well, they have a host of different virtual conferences, all starting March 23rd with the Collection Systems Conference. So all sorts of different water treatment areas that uh, WEF offers. So if you are looking for a specific discipline in your water treatment field, go to wef.org and see if one of these virtual conferences that they have coming up is right for you. You can also go to our show notes page and we'll have some information on there that you can navigate directly from because as always, you are out there most likely driving and I don't want to be the reason where you can't continue that drive. So don't take notes, just know that we've got those notes for you on our show notes page, and those are available on each and every episode. Another thing I want to mention is one of the things that I look forward to so much each and every year, it's the Association of Water Technologies Technical Training Seminars. And folks, it's going to be a little bit different this year where we are limited to the number of people that we are allowed to host at that conference. The event is going to be May 5th through 8th in Annapolis, Maryland. We have very limited spots. In fact, if you go to awt.org, you will see that as soon as you register, a spot will disappear. So if this is something that you are interested in, please do not hesitate please register for that as quickly as you can to ensure that you have a spot. The AWT technical training course consists of two basic classes and then we put two other little mini classes on the front end. The little mini classes are sales training. They meet the very first day and RO ultra filtration training. So if you're interested in one of those, you come in one day before the main classes start and you can take those classes. The other two classes 
are the fundamentals and applications training and the water treatment training. Now, the fundamentals and applications class is primarily designed for people that are relatively new in the industry. But if you have been in the industry for a while, I don't want you to look past this course because this course allows you to teach the people that you are responsible for even better. Now, maybe you're talking about employees, maybe you're talking about customers, maybe you're talking about other end users. The way that this course was designed was to give everybody a common context so we can truly all appreciate what it is we do as water treatment professionals. Now, the other course is for people that have been in the industry a little bit longer. That's the water treatment training. This is the class that everybody refers to as drinking from a fire hose. Folks, this is not a course that you would want to go to and say it is one and done. This is a class that you continue to go to, and each and every time you attend, you are going to get more and more out of it. I've been involved in the committee that puts these trainings on, and I have personally sat through the water treatment training for over a decade. And folks, I can tell you from my personal experience, I get something new out of that class each and every time I get the privilege of sitting in on it. So I hope you put those on your calendars. I hope you act quickly because these spots are going very quickly and I'm sure that they are going to fill up. Once again, you can go to our show notes page and we'll have information there, or you can go directly to awt.org and you can register. I can't wait to see you at the AWT event because I will be there as well. Nation, the whole reason we go to events like the ones I just mentioned is because we are trying to get better in our chosen field. And one person who's trying to help us get better each and every week is James McDonald. Here is another installment of James's Challenge. Hello, Scaling Up Nation. The next James's challenge as we grow as an industrial water treatment professional, drop by drop, is... Review all your accounts to ensure you've lived up to all your obligations. If not, develop a plan. It can be easy to promise the customer you will do something, but when the world catches up to you as you walk out their door, that commitment gets delayed or forgotten. If the customer remembers and you don't deliver, you lose credibility. So make time this week, every week, every day, or even every month to make sure your obligations are kept. Be sure to share your experiences on LinkedIn by tagging it with hashtag JC21 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O. This is James McDonald, and I look forward to seeing what you share. James, thanks so much. We're learning so much. We're doing things that we probably wouldn't have done if you did not nudge us to do them. So as always, remember to share what you're doing on social media. We love to keep up with each other through that platform. 
Well, Nation, you have heard me on several episodes talk about how me becoming the person that I am today has taken an entire village. And it is a work that is not yet complete, but I just want to thank all the people that have poured into me over my lifetime. And there are several people that I have just asked to be a mentor to myself. There's other people that have asked me to be a mentor to them. So I want you to think, do you have a relationship like that? And if you do, great. I now want to urge you to pass that on so you can be a mentor to somebody else. But for those of you that do not have a relationship like that, I want you to realize that you're really missing out on a golden opportunity. And I know I've spoken on other shows before how that very first conversation where you're asking that person if they would mentor you is a real big leap. And sometimes it's so nerve wracking, many people decide not to do it. I'm here to encourage you to get over that initial fear. It just lasts for a second. And folks, if they say yes, the opportunities are unlimited. I've done that to several people in this industry. And because I got over that initial fear, I did ask them and they did say yes, I am a lot better off than I think I would have been without their guidance over the past few years. All this to say, life is way too difficult to do it alone. We are built as human beings to work with other people. And sometimes it's difficult to find those other people. And that's why several years ago, I decided to join a mastermind. I've spoken on this show about the Rising Tide Mastermind, and that's the mastermind group that I formed, that I put together to help people in the water treatment community come together, share ideas, and galvanize each other so they can all become better individuals while they're helping each other become better individuals. But before all of that started, I was a member of a mastermind group, and I'm still a member of that same mastermind group. And this is a group of individuals where each and every week, we share the wins that we've had since the last meeting. And we celebrate that just like they were our own personal wins because we poured into each other and we've asked each other what they need help with. We've helped them with that. And then when they get a success story based on something that the group has helped them with, it's just like our very own win. From there, we work issues and we hold each other accountable to make sure that we are growing and we're getting to the next level. Well, folks, I'm really excited about today because you are going to hear from one of my mentors, from the facilitator of the mastermind that I am a member of. I'm talking about Aaron Walker, and Aaron Walker runs a mastermind called Iron Sharpens Iron. I've been a member of that mastermind for some time. I can't tell you enough wonderful things about Aaron, who I call Big A, and we're going to talk about that in the interview. So ladies and gentlemen of the Scaling Up Nation, please welcome Aaron Walker. My lab partner today is Aaron Walker from View from the Top, who everybody refers to as Big A. How are you, Big A? Hey, Trace, I'm doing good, buddy. Thank you so much for having me on your show today. 
Absolutely. I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about today, but I've always wanted to ask you this. Where did you get the nickname Big A? <laughs> you know, I get asked that a lot. And uh, to be honest with you, Herb Berry was my first boss when I was 13 years old. And I worked at a pawn shop in Nashville, Tennessee. And I'd been there about two weeks. And uh, I came walking out of the back room and I was carrying a guitar and somebody had pawned it and they were picking it up. And he looked at me and he said, hey, Big A, give it to that man right there. And since that day, it has stuck. And so everybody that's friends and family, my grandkids even call me Big A. It How just kind of stuck, Trace. So that's where I got the name. Well, I know you called my office once and our office manager came into my office and said sheepishly, there's somebody named Big A on the line for you. So. I enjoyed that. And of course, now we know the story. Now, you mentioned pawn shops, and we're, we're going to be all over the map today, I think. I like it that way. Let's just go down different trails and see where it goes. All right. We will see where it goes. Well, let's start with that. You were very successful in that industry. Do you mind telling us a little bit about that story? No, I'd be happy to. Uh, I was raised in Nashville, Tennessee. I've been here 60 years now. I'm one of the few originals here in Nashville. Everybody else is moving here. This is a destination city. But if you go way back, you know, my dad was a general contractor and we were pretty poor, just to be honest with you. And one summer he woke me up early in the morning. He said, hey, boy, get out of the bed. And I said, what are we doing? He said, you want to make some money today? And I said, yeah, I'm in. If I can make some money, I'm in. He said, uh, there's a beauty shop that we're going to transform into a pawn shop. And I said, I don't even know what a pawn shop is. And he said, well, it doesn't matter. I just need you to help me. So we went down, we started uh, remodeling the beauty shop, turned it into a pawn shop. And I started thinking about this is not far from my house. And so I met the new owner, you know, he was a young guy. He was 23 years old. And I went up to him at the completion of the job. And I said, uh, Mr. Barry, my name is Aaron Walker. And, uh, I'd love to work here. And he said, how old are you? And I said, I'm 13. He said, what would you do? I said, I'll do whatever you want. I'll clean up, wipe these showcases down. You name it, I'll do it. And he said, you're hired. And I said, Trace, it was the shortest interview in history. <laughs> and he hired me to work there. So I worked uh, with the school just down the street uh, from there. And I would go over there every day and I'd work an hour and a half or two hours. And I started out at $1.70 an hour. I thought I was high cotton. This is back in 1974. And uh, I loved it. I just fell in love with it. And uh, I worked there for a couple of years. And when I was 15 years old, I decided that's what I wanted to do for a living. And so I went to summer school and night school for about 18 months. I had enough credits to graduate high school at the beginning of my junior year in high school. And so I worked every day my junior year and my senior year. And I uh, turned 18 and I went to the owner and I said, hey, will I ever own part of this place? And he started laughing and he said, no. And I said, uh, well, I got to leave. And he said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to open my own pawn shop. And he said, how are you going to do that? You don't have any money. I said, well, I've enlisted a couple of guys that do have a lot of money and we're going to open a pawn shop. And that's exactly what we did. So I was 18 years old, opened my own pawn shop. I gave up two thirds of the business in order to go in partners with them. Two weeks out of high school, my wife and I, 40 years now, we got married. And I said, Robin, we can't screw this up. I said, we may never get this chance again. 
And so we just put our heads down and we worked hard. And, uh, you know, it's a long story after that. But when I was 27, I was able to sell out to a Fortune 500. And, uh, you know, I hate to say it like this because it sounds terrible. But I was able to retire. And I thought, man, this is the American dream. And uh, Trace, there's a long story after that. I went back to work about 18 months later, bought the pawn shop I started with when I was a kid. And uh, we grew it to about four times the size because we had the resources to do it then. And it's been a fun journey. Yeah, but I spent 27 years uh, overall in that business. Now, I'm sure being in Nashville, you've got some stories about some famous people that came into your store. Yeah, you know, we did. We had some pretty cool uh, pretty cool people that come in. I think one fun story to tell is that Johnny Cash uh, was a regular customer of ours. He bought a lot of diamonds and gold, and I got to know him, you know, pretty well. Like, we weren't running around buddies or anything, but we knew each other, and he bought quite a bit from us. But, you know, he had some problem family members that used to come in and pawn his guitars and stuff like that. And then I'd call him up and I'd say, Hey, your guitars are back down here. And he'd come get them. And we went through that song and dance for years. And so, you know, Roy Orbison's family, they shopped with us a lot and we had some pretty cool people. I got to meet George Jones through that. And a friend of mine was in his band and I got to interact with him a bit and go out to his house and spend some time. And Steve Winwood. Uh, was my business partner's brother-in-law. So I got to know Steve pretty good. Steve uh, lives here in Nashville and he also lives in England. For those that don't know who that is, Traffic was his band, a very, very popular band. He's still pretty popular today. Back in the High Life, I think, is one of his hits that people will probably recognize. And uh, there were many other country music stars, you know, uh, the Oak Ridge boys. One of them lives down the street here from me now, and I get to see him around. And so it's just a lot of the country music people here locally was pretty cool being in that industry. Well, you said earlier you retired at 27, and I know very well you did not retire. So what was life after the pawn shop? Well, here's what happened is that I thought, man, this is going to be amazing, you know, like, I, I, like I'm done. <laughs> well, Trace, you can't watch but so many episodes of Andy Griffith, you know. <laughs> you can't play but so much golf. You can't fish but so much because when you do it every day, it's like, you know, it's not fun anymore. And people are like listening to this going, dude, give me a chance. I would love to do that. And it's true. It's fun for a little while. But all my buddies were working and I was playing with golf, you know, with guys 60 years old, and they were beating me, and that was embarrassing. And I'm like, I don't feel productive. Like, there's no meaning. There, there's no purpose. And I gained 50 pounds, and I was getting in the bed in the middle of the day. And Robin saw that as a real bad thing, and she woke me up one day, and she said, this is not what I signed up for. And I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? And she said, go get a job, start another company. I don't care what you do, but you got to get out of the bed. You got to lose some weight and you got to st start feeling productive again. So I went back to the pawn shop and I told Herb, I said, uh, why don't I work here a day a week? And he said, big A, have you already spent all that money? And I said, <laughs> no, I haven't spent the money, but I'm bored out of my mind. So I started working there, giving him a little time off and, you know, I started investing some money in the business and one thing led to another. And I said, hey, why don't we go in partners and let's go for it? And so he agreed to, he did. And uh, we changed locations. We bought a piece of property across the street and built a new 
10,000 foot facility there. And uh, we really went for it. And that's when I met Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey uh, was just starting his radio show here in Nashville. And I went to a Chamber of Commerce breakfast in Madison and Dave was speaking to 25 people. And I invited him down to see our new pawn shop and he fell in love with it. And he said, hey, won't you advertise on my show? I said, I'm not advertising with you. I never even heard of you. And he said, I'll give you a free week if you'll just try me. And I'm like, well, I can't lose at that. And so this was in the early 90s. And so I started advertising on his show. And three days in, I called him and I said, man, these people have drank the Kool-Aid. I don't know what it is you're selling exactly, but I'm interested in a long-term relationship. He said, well, it's an annual contract. I said, annual? And he said, yeah. I said, I can't just sign up for a month. And he said, no. Well, Trace, between me and you, I'm going to ask him one day. I think he would have taken a month contract. He was trying to press me (laughs) to sign up for a year. But after that, uh, I I sponsored his show for 21 consecutive years. And through that process, we became real good friends. And then, you know, later, if you want to discuss it, he invited me to join his mastermind group that he was starting and where we spent a lot of time together. Well, Big A, that's where you and I know each other. I'm a member of your mastermind group, Iron Sharpens Iron. So I've started my own mastermind. You've been an extreme help in all of that. Thank you for everything that you do to to help me with my group, the Rising Tide Mastermind. I'm I'm hoping that, you know, you've been in a mastermind for so many years. It's been a part of how you process issues, how you become even more successful after you were pretty darn successful at 27. So I was hoping you could tell the Scaling Up Nation a little bit about, one, how you started and then what that grew into. Well, I've got to be totally transparent with your audience, Trace. And to be honest with you, let me tell you that story. So it wasn't long after I met Dave and we'd done some business together. I was at the Curb Center here in Nashville watching a group called Mercy Me. And uh, Dave was sitting a couple of rolls ahead of me. I didn't even know he was there. And during intermission, he walked by me and he goes, hey, Big A, he said, what are you doing? I said, I just hang in with Robin, listening to some good music. And he went to the concession stand and he came back and he said, hey, I want you to uh, give me a shout tomorrow. I want to talk to you about something that's non-business related. And I said, okay, cool. So I called him the next day and he said, I'm starting a mastermind group. And I said, you're starting what? And he said, I'm starting a mastermind group. I said, what in the world is that? And he started laughing and he said, we've been doing a Bible study with Ron Doyle and Dan Miller and some other guys. And he said, we're at the conclusion of that, but we still want to stay together. So we thought that each of us would invite two or three people and then we would have 10 or 12 people and then we could meet in my office and then we could do life together. I said, well, what does that look like? He said, just come to my office Wednesday morning, seven o'clock. And he said, I'll introduce you to the guys that we've invited We'll see if it's a good fit. Well, Trace, to be honest, I didn't want to go. And the reason I didn't want to go is because I know how hardcore Dave is. I'm like, he's going to be all up in my grill. He's going to be challenging me and pushing me and making me do things I don't want to do. And then I got to be vulnerable and transparent. And I don't think I want to do that. And the reason is because I want everybody that's out there to think Big A's got it going on. Like I've got it figured out because my pride, my ego wouldn't allow me to say that I didn't know everything. 
Well, the truth is, what I found out is nobody knows everything. We've all got superpowers, but we've all got blind spots also. And I didn't want to reveal those blind spots. I didn't want people to know that there's things that I didn't know about business. And I didn't have it all figured out as a husband because there was challenges Robin and I were having. And there was challenges with children, you know. And I'm like, I don't want them to know that stuff. And so I went and I was quiet for three or four months. I was in the room and I was talking, but I wasn't sharing anything. And then one day, Dan Miller shared some challenges he was having with one of his children. A couple of weeks later, Dave was sharing some challenges he was having in his business. And then Ken Abraham was sharing some trials and tribulations he was having in his marriage. And I'm like, dang, they're a bunch of knuckleheads too. They're just like me. They got areas in their life that they don't have it all together. And so I felt the freedom to say, you know, Robin and I have shared some experiences that have not really been positive and I'm not really sure how to deal with this. Other people like Ron Doyle have been married a lot longer than me. And he said, well, Big A, try this and see if that works. Well, Trace, I tried it and it worked. And I'm like, dang, you don't know what you don't know. A couple of weeks later, someone would share something about business. And I'd be like, you know, I've got a little cash flow problem right now myself. I've got these retail outlets. And somebody would say, you know, Gene Riley would say, he's a CPA. He'd say, hey, won't, won't you do this, this, and this? And I would do that and I'd come back, I'd be laughing. I said, Gene, that worked. And he's like, good, good. I'm glad it worked. So then I said, you know what? I need to be vulnerable in here. I need to just go, hey, I want to get better. And so I let that veil down. I let the facade down. And I'm like, this is who I am, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And these are areas that I can add value to you because I've got experience here. But these are places I need your help. And once everybody gets to a level playing field, once you let that facade down and you go, hey, I'm just like you, but I need help in this area. Man, my business took off. My relationship took off. Spirituality grew exponentially. And I wasn't a big reader. And I know, Trace, you probably find that hard to believe because I'm always recommending books. But in the group, we would read books every month. And I told Dave one day, I said, I don't like to read. He said, I don't care if you like to read or not. Suck it up, buttercup. We're going to read. And so now I'm an avid reader. I read, I've read thousands of books as a result of being in there. And it's just all this challenging. It's the resources. It's the camaraderie. It's the accountability has absolutely changed the dynamics of my business and my personal life. Big A, at some point in your life, you had a, a very large experience that really changed you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, thank you for asking, Trace. I appreciate that. Uh, it's something that's uncomfortable to talk about, but we all have things in our life that are uncomfortable to talk about. So I will share this with you. Things were going really good in my life. Uh, we had the big house, the vacation home, you know, we had money and able to take vacations. And, they, and I don't say that boastfully. I say that very humbly, you know, but it, it was the truth. And one day I was blindsided. I was headed to the office. I had just left our church. We had met there every Wednesday morning for years and years with a group of men. And I had left there and I was on the way to the office and uh, there was a pedestrian crossing the street to catch a bus and he didn't look my way. And Unfortunately, I ran, I ran over this gentleman, and uh, he survived three days in the Vanderbilt trauma unit. And they called me on Saturday and said, "Hey, he didn't make it." Well, 
Trace, I can't even begin to tell you what all transpired in my life after that, but it was very stressful. Uh, I sold the business. I was 40 years old and I said, hey, I've been chasing money my whole life. I'm going to take a break. And I did. I took five years off. I didn't do anything for a five-year period and uh, got my legs back under me. God gave me the grace in order to deal with that. And Robin woke me up from a nap again, Trey. She says, you're getting fat and lazy again. It's time <laughs> to go back. Well, Robin has really kept me on track. So I went in the construction business and uh, we were pretty successful in the construction business. We built high-end residence and small commercial for a number of years. And then finally, Trace, I'm getting to answer your question here. Finally, I just said, I'm done. Like I'm done. I'm 50 years old. I'm going to retire and I'm going to be done. And I did. I retired and I went to the mastermind group and announced to them, you know, that I had finally made the decision to retire and Dan Miller leaned over and he looked at me and he said, what are you going to do now? And uh, I said, I'm going to go down to the Caribbean and I'm going to buy a little place on St. John and I'm going to rock myself into an oblivion. And I started laughing. Well, nobody in the room laughed. Nobody thought it was funny. And Dan looked at me and he got this little stubby index finger and he pointed it at me and he said, that's the most selfish thing I've ever heard you say. I said, what are you talking about, man? I've been working since I was eight years old. 13 years old. I got a job. I worked every day since then. I'm 50 now. Can I not relax? He said, yeah, you can relax a little bit, but you're way too young to stop. Dave Ramsey said, hey, won't you come do Entree Leadership Mastery? He said, it'll be a gift from me to you just to see if you like it. And I thought, dang, that's a $10,000 present. I think I'll take you up on it. So I went, Trace, I had a blast. 150 people there, and I got to interact with people. And I met a guy named Brett Barnhart and Matt Miller, and uh, they wanted me to coach them. And I went to Dave, and I said, Dave, I'm at your event, but these two guys want me to coach them. He said, well, coach them. I said, they're your customers. And he said, I don't care. Coach them. So I went home and talked to Robin about it, and she said, uh, yeah, let's give it a try. So I started coaching those guys and loved it. As a matter of fact, I've coached Brett Barnhart every Tuesday for seven years now, and it's just been amazing. Matt Miller was my client for years and years and years. They're both still in the mastermind, and we have a great experience. But then somebody suggested that I do a podcast interview, and they said, get on John Lee Dumas's show and do a podcast interview. So I did, and it blew up. I mean, like overnight, I had 15 one-on-one clients and people all over the world were calling saying, hey, I want you to coach me. I kind of told my story. Well, that was exhausting. I thought, dang, I can't do this, man. This is like this is like work. And I said, I can't, can't do that. Why don't I start a mastermind group and uh, do one to many, you know, and be a part of the group rather than just coaching? I can be a participant because I love masterminding. And so it wasn't intended. I don't want to say it's accidental because I don't believe in coincidences. I believe that I was really supposed to do it, but it wasn't planned initially. I kept doing podcast interviews and we kept filling up groups. And here we are today. You know, we've got 20 groups. By the end of 2021, we'll have 40 mastermind groups. Uh, we've got people in nine different countries now. And I think that. This is more enjoyable to me today because of the success and the transformation of the members more so than the benefit for me. And don't get me wrong, this is a great uh, business for us, 
But man, seeing people develop and grow and take their business to the next level, be better husbands and better moms and better dads and better in community and the networking. And it's just a frenzy of activity to see people really transform their lives. And to think you were going to rock away in the Caribbean. I was. I was going to go down to St. John because I love it at St. John. But I'm like today, it gets me out of the bed when I think of people and think of how much better they're doing, the camaraderie that we have. Uh, It's just really cool to be able to see other people grow. Now, you explained your experience within the mastermind, but if somebody isn't familiar with what the what the purpose behind the mastermind is, how would you explain that? You know, I think we make it way too complicated, and there's all kinds of definitions, you know, where one mind joins another mind, forms a third mind. The truth is, is that it's your own personal board of directors. That's the easiest way that I could possibly explain it. It is unbiased, trusted advisors. They don't have anything to gain or lose as a result of what they tell you. So why would they not tell you the truth? And I would much rather look silly in front of 10 or 12 people than I had to go bust in my business or my marriage dissolve or not be able to own up to the fact that I don't really know how to do cash projections and I don't understand how to build a pro forma in my business. And I'd rather say that privately and get people to help me and me be successful than for me to crash and burn because I wasn't willing to confine in a few people that didn't have anything to gain or lose as a result of walking with me. And so the best way that you can describe it is, is you've got people you meet with every week They're able to see your weaknesses, the Achilles heel, your blind spot, your superpowers, and they can say, hey, you're strong here. Keep doing that. But you got to stop talking to your wife this way, or you've got to start interacting with your children better, or you've got to spend more time at the office concentrating on these things and narrow your focus because you're an inch deep and a mile wide. And the real money is made when you're an inch wide and a mile deep. And so here's how I can help hold you accountable. Because if you tell me this is important, next week I'm going to ask, did you do that last week? And if you say no, then I'm going to say, you really lied to me about your priority. And here's the thing. When you've got accountability every week and you've got people asking you questions, you're going to stay on the narrow. And the people that stay on the narrow are the people that are going to make the money. They're going to become uh, very consistent. They're going to become proficient. They're not going to just operate out of their zone of competence, but they're going to operate in their zone of genius. And you're going to help mold them and make them because other people see you differently than you see yourself. And when you really subject yourself to their scrutiny and you open up and say, hey, give it to me, let me know, it's going to make you better. And so simply put, it's your own personal board of directors. Now, you mentioned masterminds typically meet once a week. Ours does. Yours does. A lot of people think, oh my gosh, I can't afford to spend that time one hour each week. What do you say to that? Yeah, well, they just simply don't understand because they wouldn't make that comment if they understood. Because when you've got eight or 10 people giving you an idea, the general consensus of the multitude historically pays off. Rather than figuring it out on your own, 
wouldn't you be better off to go with a group of people that have like-mindedness, that have similar core values, that understand where you're trying to go, that can give you good advice? Because as I said earlier, you don't know what you don't know. And they can take hours, weeks, months, and years off of a process. They can take you there a lot faster. A lot of people say, well, that's an expense that I'm not willing to have. And I just simply say it's an investment. It's not an expense because the relationships, the resources, the ideas, the accountability has exponentially gotten me there faster than if I were to try to figure it out on my own. Aaron, I'm also a member of Vistage. I've been a member of Vistage for about 10 years. And I used to carpool with a gentleman that was a very short-term member. And he was a short-term member because he was always concerned about what he could take from the group and not what he could give the group. And I love what you tell us in our group that you have to come with a full cup. Can you, can you explain what that means? Yeah, sure. Full cup is just an analogy of we want to give out of our abundance. And so you want to have a mindset of being a giver and not a taker. And the reason that is so important is, is that people figure you out pretty quick when you're just a taker. But when you're a giver, the natural reciprocity is they want to give you back. So if you're always thinking about others, how can I help them excel? What can I do to make this connection? What resource can I give them to make them successful? We make so many connections today for people that don't even ask for it that we can't even get back to all the people that they're connecting me with. And so you can see how that reciprocity happens naturally. But when you have that taker mentality, people stop sharing with you. They don't give to you. And people that have the mindset, and it's the short-term mindset, I've got to get an ROI. If I'm going to put in $500, I've got to get $1,000 back. I've got to be able to measure it. Well, that is also the wrong mindset because it's a long-term play. Like I was in the Eagles group for 10 or 12 years. We met every single Wednesday morning. The relationships, the connections, the camaraderie, uh, the accountability that those guys have given me, I could never, ever measure it in a quantifiable fashion. But what I do know is, is I can pick up the phone right now and I can call all those guys and I can have connections all over the world. I can ask them for ideas and resources and give me feedback and they, they'll do it because I poured into them. See, I gave and I gave and I gave. And so when you make that many deposits, it's not hard to get a credit every now and then. And so I just want to encourage you to use the Carol Dweck mindset philosophy of a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset, and say, what is it that I can do to add value to others? And it'll come back to you 100x. It truly is the catalyst to bring that back to you, like you said, 100x. Big A, you've started businesses, sold businesses, started new businesses, and you're still working with view from the top and making that even bigger and better. I'm curious, how do you define success? You know, that's tough for anybody to really put a, a definition on success. For me, it's successful to me that I get to do what I want to do each and every day. And I've had the good fortune of being able to do that since I was 18. I've not had a boss, you know, in 42 years, I've been able to determine, you know, today, I think I'll go do this or do that. I'm a creator developer. I'm not a maintainer manager. 
That's why we've owned 14 businesses over the course of 42 years is because I love to create and innovate and uh, start things new. View from the top has been a little bit different because the other businesses, the success was determined in uh, in terms of financial success. You know, we'd built companies and we had tangible possessions and things like that. It's a little different for me now. It's about legacy. Uh, it's about breathing into others. It's about helping others transform what's going on for them. So I would just say simply for me today, success is measured in the terms of others' success rather than my own. Big A, if somebody just turned on the episode and, and started listening right from this point, what would you want them to get out of this interview? Yeah, I would just want people to know that isolation is the enemy to excellence. And if you really want to fulfill an adventuresome life, you really want to go for it. We're designed to be in community. And I think that the more people that you can get around the smaller groups and be vulnerable and transparent and authentic and uh, just let them know your trials, the, the places that you fall short and that you need help and enlist other people to help prop you up, to take you to the next level, your life is going to be very gratified and very fulfilling. And then think of a way that you can pour back into others. And so not be just the mentee, but the mentor. I think your life will have greater meaning and purpose. Now, when we get together on a weekly basis, you have the best Southern sayings that I have ever heard. (laughs) Can you share a couple with the Scaling Up Nation? Oh, my goodness. I don't know what those would be. You know, I get teased a lot about my Southern draw. I was in the airport not long ago, and I was uh, talking to a buddy of mine walking down to the concourse. (laughs) And this guy passed me, and uh, all of a sudden, I heard somebody go, hey, Big A. And I turned around and looked, and I said, yeah. And he goes, I knew that was you. He said, I've heard all your podcasts and your Facebook lives. And I started laughing. He said, you can't hide behind that voice. And so I get teased a lot about my Southern drawl, but I used to hate it. When I listened to my first interview with John Lee Dumas, I laid on my office floor and I said, Robin, please tell me that's not me. And she started laughing. She goes, that's you. I said, oh my gosh, who would ever listen to me? And you don't think about it until you hear yourself on a recording, you know, and my dad used to say silly stuff all the time. <laughs> One of them is, is that is useless as tits on a boar hog. And the people laugh about that and they say, hey, man, or it's, hey, you don't know your butt from third base. And just just silly stuff I heard my dad say all my life, or that's a big gentleman. Like, what does that mean? Like, that's a big gentleman. Our preacher at our church got to saying it, and he was up preaching in front of 7,000 people. And he goes, I'm telling you right now, that 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 uh, tabernacle, that was a big gentleman. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> knew it came from me, you know. So I don't know, Trace. You know, it's the way God made me. It's who I am. I like to say silly things. Here's the thing. I like to have fun. Like, we don't get but one pass through life. This is not a trial run. And if we're not having fun, we need to change directions. You know, people say, I hate what I do. Well, stop doing it. You know, get another job. Get something you enjoy doing because we don't get another opportunity. I mean, this is it. This is our life. And I just want people to have fun and enjoy themselves. Well, I've definitely had fun throughout this interview, but I'm not quite done with my questions. I've got a few lightning round questions if you're ready for them. Come on, bring them. 
All right, Big A, you now have the ability to go back in time and talk to your former self on your first day as a business owner. What advice would you give yourself? Oh, man, that's easy. I would build relationships more intentional, faster, because your success hinges on your ability to build great relationships that are going to tell you the truth. So without a question, I'd be very intentional about building relationships faster. Now, I'm always looking to expand my reading list, and you have been very helpful helping me do that on a regular basis, being a member of your mastermind. But I'm curious, what are the last three books that you've read? Well, I'm constantly reading books, so I don't know about the last three. Uh, There's a great book that uh, Jack Canfield wrote called The Success Principles, and uh, it's a pretty long read, but he really talks about how to get from where you are now to where you want to be. And there's numbers of success principles in there. Another great book that uh, I've just read is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Uh, That is another really, really good read. Uh, One one of my favorite books that that I think can really add a lot of value is Chris Voss's book, uh, Never Split the Difference. And it really gives you some real insights in how you can negotiate through life in a very positive manner. Well, there's no doubt Hollywood is going to hear about the life of Aaron Walker, and they're going to write a script. Who plays Big A? Oh, man. Who plays? The Duke. (laughs) I don't know. Who would play play Big A in Hollywood? Uh, Golly, I don't know. Who do you think would play me? You know me pretty well. You know, that's a, no one's ever turned it back on me before. Um, I can see Gene Hackman playing you. Maybe a younger Gene Hackman? Uh, maybe so. Maybe so. I can see that. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of like Clint Eastwood, too. I don't know. Well, that's a great answer. Let's go with yours. I like that even better. I think it would. I think it would be Clint Eastwood. All right. My final question You now have the ability to talk to anybody throughout history. Who would it be with and why? Anybody throughout history. You know, I'm going to go with a spiritual answer here. It would be Paul in the Bible because he went through some real trials and tribulations, and he was a real man of God, and uh, he had a thorn in his side, the Scripture says. And I'd always be curious to what that is because I think we all— have a thorn in our side. And I think spending some time with him, really finding out how he persevered for so long for what he believed would be very inspirational and motivational. Yeah. What the heck did he see on that road to Damascus? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. That's what I would like to know. Those are the questions. That's why I'd like to spend some time with him. Well, Big A, thank you for spending time with us. Great guest. Really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Trace. Have a good one, buddy. We'll see you. Big A, thanks again for coming on Scaling Up H2O. Thanks for sharing some of the information about why masterminds are so successful and letting people know why they need to consider joining a mastermind. As I said at the top of the show, life is way too difficult to do it alone. And when you have a group of individuals that get together on a regular basis for the sole purpose of making each other better, it is amazing at what happens when those people get together. 
So Aaron, thanks again. You know, a couple of things I want to mention is I'm always looking for ways to become a better leader. One of my favorite definitions of leadership was given to me by Captain David Marquet of the United States Navy. He was the submarine commander of the USS Santa Fe, and I interviewed him way back in January 2018. It was episode 29. And folks, if, if you listen to me, I was just so excited as I was interviewing him. I got so much from his book called Turn the Ship Around. And I remember his definition of leadership was a leader was somebody who produced other leaders. And, and just think about that. That takes one of the biggest issues with leadership out of the equation. And I think that's pride, that you look at somebody who's successful and they say, I got here all by myself because I did this. Well, normally that's not true. Normally there's a whole bunch of people that had to step up, that had to do things, that had to do all the day-to-day -day items in order to achieve what we are now seeing. Think of the space program. When we think about the astronauts that first stepped on the moon, astronauts Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, they were the ones that first stepped on the moon landed the lunar landing module and then walked around the moon. And we saw them from really bad television back in the late 60s. Of course, those would be a lot better pictures now, but a lot of people think that that was it. They, they got out, they walked on the moon. No, think of the millions and millions of work hours that had to go into the designing, the ideas before they designed, all the testing, all the training, everything that had to be done, that was all off the scenes. And the fact that those were the astronauts that were chosen to go up there, there were also backup astronauts if something were to happen. And they drilled so many other scenarios other than the perfect scenario to make sure things would go according to plan. And if they didn't, they knew how to get out of that situation to bring the astronauts back home. So it wasn't just about one person. It was about the mission. It was about accomplishing what we set out to do, which was when JFK said that we choose to go to the moon and bring a man safely back by the end of that decade, that was accomplished and it wasn't just by a few individuals. So I say all this because as a leader, I know pride can get in our way. And when we're able to give away credit to others because there are so many other people involved that deserve credit, that's one way to help leaders sort of get out of their own way and get that pride so it doesn't hinder the whole operation. But then the other thing I want to point out is the fact that if you're doing everything as a leader, what happens when you're not there? Or how are decisions made when you are not there? If you can instill upon the values that you make decisions and then allow people to operate within those parameters, well, now think of what you can accomplish. You can actually scale. If you're all by yourself, you can only work on limited items. 
But if you have a team of people that are empowered through your leadership, just imagine the things that you can accomplish. So that's why I love the fact when we talk about leadership and I think about Captain Marquet's definition, leaders make other leaders. And that's his definition. You know, another leader that I think of, and I don't know if you've seen it, it's one of my favorite series. It's called Band of Brothers. It was on HBO. I think it came out in the 2000s. It is about the Airborne Division, uh, 101st Airborne Division, EZ Company. And one of the figures was their commanding officer, and his name was Major Dick Winters. One of the reasons I love that Band of Brothers story is because, one, it's a true story. It shows how these people were brought together for a mission, and they worked together through some incredible circumstances, and they played a huge role in winning World War II. So all of that to say, I think Major Dick Winters is one of the best leaders that I've read about. I've never had the opportunity to meet him, and he passed away a couple of years ago. But he wrote his memoirs, and I'm mentioning this because I know a lot of you listen to Audible. Audible is a service that you can get reading back if you're too busy driving from account to account. Well, folks, when you're not listening to this podcast, you could be listening to a book on Audible. And if you don't have Audible, I can get you a free book and a free month by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash Audible. And I also want to mention that if you are a member of Audible, right now, Dick Winner's book is free as a download to your Audible library. So by all means, take advantage of that free book and read one of the memoirs from somebody that I consider, and I think you will too, a tremendous leader. Nation, I appreciate you always listening to Scaling Up H2O, and people write in all the time and they want to know what they can do to help us out on the Scaling Up H2O staff. And the honest truth is you can keep listening to Scaling Up, but what you can really, really do that will help us is you can let others know that there is an industrial water treatment podcast out there that helps us in all aspects of water treatment from technical all the way to leadership and everything in between. The more listeners we get, I know the more we are going to help people raise that bar in the water treatment industry. But something else you can also do is leave us a comment on your favorite podcast platform. Those comments actually help us with the ranking that pushes us higher up in search features and allows more people to find the podcast. Just a small favor from you to me, and I appreciate that in advance. And I always appreciate you tuning in to Scaling Up H2O. Have a great week, folks. Scaling Up Nation, have you ever wondered if you are so stuck in your ways, you cannot learn a new way to do something? Well, I recently had a conversation with Rising Tide Mastermind member, Chuck Hamrick, and here's what he had to say. 
Well, because I'm an old timer and I've been doing the water treatment for 37 years, you know, I've got my own ways of doing things. But since I've learned a little more uh, things that are a little more techy now and, and, and being able to uh, put my thoughts on the paper and to be able to clarify my thought of uh, speech to my employees, uh, one of the best examples would be with my son, Chase, who will be taking over the business probably another five or six years. It's taught him what he needs to do to actually run a more effective and more uh, better run company. So it's, it's helped tremendous and it's helped because we are a family owned business. Uh, we got several members of our families in the business. It's actually brought more uh, closeness and understanding how we should work together as a team. Well, Nation, Chuck is an awesome member of the Rising Tide Mastermind. And I have to tell you, when Chuck speaks, there's always something profound that he says. He has helped so many people within the Rising Tide Mastermind. It's great to hear that he's received so much benefit as well. I want you to go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind so you can read more about what our group is and to see if this is the right group for you. If it is, hit apply and we can schedule a meeting where you can talk with me and we can talk about exactly what this group is and we can figure out what you are looking for and if those two things are a match, well, you can be the next member in the Rising Tide Mastermind. Again, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind.